Hello, and welcome to another episode of Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. For this episode, I went to Superfine Art Fair and Union Market. Superfine is different. The idea behind Superfine is to reach out to new and novelist collectors, as well as galleries and emerging artists, by putting them all in the same room. While walking around, I didn't feel overwhelmed by all the artwork. The artists and the gallerists were engaging and friendly. The work varied by styles and sizes, and it was a very diverse DMV artist representation. Overall, a very positive and balanced engaging art fair. With that, here are a few artists and gallerists I interviewed at the fair. First up is Summer Crenshaw. Summer is an artist from Frederick, Maryland. Thank you for doing this again. I appreciate that. If you could please introduce yourself and what mediums you like to work with and your themes. Absolutely, my name is Sumner Crenshaw. Um, I actually work in a lot of different mediums. I'm trained in about 15 different mediums, but my favorite is oil painting. Um, and I really like to incorporate pencil and graphite into my work. Um, as far as themes, I really try to focus a lot on you know exploring mental health issues. Um, empowerment is huge as well. Um, really kind of more of like a surreal bent. Oh, okay. And so uh, what types of influences uh, that you like to draw from doing this? I've been an artist my whole life. I've loved art my whole life. So I feel like my themes and my influence have been really varied. Um, I, growing up, I loved Disney. I was like the girl that had every Disney movie. I loved them all. And so I think a lot of just the animation, the squash and stretch principles, that kind of thing really came into my work, particularly in the movement and the curvilinear aspect of it. I also am a huge fan of Salvador Dali. My parents had a Salvador Dali book on the shelf when I was younger. I was probably way too young to be looking at it, but I did anyways. And I feel like that, just the impact of it and the idea that that kind of visuals could be part of my lexicon has just been huge. So those are probably the two biggest. So here, here's the, the challenging question of the day. How do you know when a piece is finished? You know, I've heard a lot of artists that say, oh, I analyze it and I look at it from this angle and this angle and I analyze the light. And I am not like that. I'm kind of like, eh. I feel like I'm at peace with this and I just kind of walk away. Like I'm very intuitive about it. I'm like, okay, you seem done. I feel like you're happy with where you're at. I'm happy with your, where you're at. Just kind of let it go. So you say you like to work with the oils as your preferred yeah. medium. And I'm looking at your pieces now. And like I said to you earlier, before we started the interview, I love the curved linear and um, very organic approach that you have to them. Is that from some of that influence of from like the Disney days or? I think so. Dolly's not really kind of that kind of. Yeah, Dolly was definitely did not have that aesthetic. I think a lot of it is from animation and Disney and just kind of watching the movement of the characters and just those beautiful drawn lines. I think too, and I, I don't quite know where it comes from. It was just like the female form or what, but I just, love curvy lines. I think they can convey so much expressiveness and emotion, and I really love to incorporate it in my work. Uh, I know it's, it's very nice work. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so anyway, how can people get in contact with you, learn more about you? Well, there's lots of ways. I'm on Instagram. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me and see my latest work. Um, I'm on Instagram as Sumner Crenshaw underscore art. I also do have a website, SumnerCrenshaw.com. And I show at U Gallery as well. Um, that's letter U and then gallery.com. Just search my name and my work will pop right up. So with that being said, uh, do you have any other upcoming uh, exhibits or uh, things coming up, any events for you? Yeah, I'm actually right now um, locally in Frederick. I'm showing at the Muse, which is an amazing um, downtown shop and gallery. And I will be there with my work up through the end of December. Oh, okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. No problem. Nina O'Neill from Monochromatic Collective talks about the use of space in one's home. If you could please introduce yourself and talk about who and what your collective is. So I'm Nina O'Neill. I started Monochrome Collective, which is an art consultancy based in DC. 
we uh, focus on matching people and art. So getting artwork out of studios and into the eyes and ears and homes of people that will be able to enjoy individual unique objects made by human beings. And how did you get your start though? Uh, what, what prompted you to do that? I've lived in DC since 2000 and always worked in the arts. And I really felt like you just live and learn and you find that there are aspects of your abilities and skills that you're not asked to use in certain jobs. And so you just sit down and kind of brainstorm what you can do, what you can offer and what you're being asked to offer. After helping friends and friends of friends to find objects that they really enjoyed, I found that my skills also really lie in having people describe what they're looking for using non-art words mm -hmm. and then I go in and translate that into visuals and actual objects so that they can have what they dream of but don't know where to find. Right. Which is surprisingly is difficult. It's difficult. I mean right now we're at Superfine. It's a big art fair. Yeah. It is overwhelming and I send a lot of my couple clients here to make them look at work together so they can just have conversations not everybody knows where to start when they're looking for work. So what I've decided to put together for Superfine this year, anytime I present artwork, it, you have to think about who's coming, where they are, and what they might be able to or interested in spending. Right. You have to think through all these steps. So yeah. I'm very proud this year to be showing off exclusively sculpture. And I've got four sculptors here. Uh, three are local. One lives in Brooklyn. And what I have is amazing 3D work starting in the 300s. So it is a wonderful way to introduce to new collectors that they can start buying original work. They don't have to start with prints. Not that there's anything wrong with artists that work in multiples like that, but I try to keep my multiples under 10 right. just to keep the uniqueness and originality of what they make. So what we have here is just really amazing examples at approachable price points to get people thinking about sculpture. You have neon up and you have some very textural stuff by Michael West. This beautiful stuff by Gary yeah. that is nice and sculpted. It, it, it's wood. It's, it's wood. Yeah, Gary is an exceptional, he's a painter as well. I'm very excited to be showing off his sculpture because you can just see his extreme ability with wood and stone and how he takes really the juxtaposition of the polished and the unfinished. And so some of his smaller sculptures that start at $375 yeah. have carved remnants of beautiful granite that has a wonderfully turned piece of wood on top. His figures have kind of an anthropomorphic component in that they have eyes, yeah. which orients you to the fact they might have some physical attributes. You think of them as people, but also they're exceptionally beautiful forms and great compositions. So I'm really happy to have Gary's work and really happy that he was willing to create smaller versions of his pieces to attract a larger audience. Oh, what's his average like working size? So some of his his sculptures primarily, as you see over here on this pedestal, yeah. I mean, the base for the pedestal is what, 18 by 36? Yeah. So we're talking about large scale sculptures that not everybody has room for and also would naturally come in at a higher price point, so it's a little bit less approachable to the novice or new collector. Yeah, because a lot of people don't know. They like it, but they don't know why they should, you know, acquire it. And the neat thing about having smaller scale sculptures, as we do have several in the booth, there are nooks and crannies in pretty much everybody's house. Yeah, everyone it doesn't has matter a bookshelf. If you, exactly, rent an apartment, you've got a corner that you can put something on display. We've also got these really great sculptures by Monroe Eisenberg. Yeah. They're made of reclaimed redwood from um, New York City water towers. Oh. So the wood is about 100 years old, and it's got this wonderfully 
kind of soft, uh, chalky patina to it because it has been soaked in water for so long. So if you could imagine these are kind of three-legged triangular stick structures go directly into the wall. The neat thing about how they are is it plays with spaces that are not inhabited by people. You stick them up in a corner in a room and put a chair beneath it and no one's going to bump into it, but it gives life and movement and interest to areas yeah. that aren't necessarily That's what I like used. about it. Yeah, it, it yeah. is definitely, and it fills space, even though it's very open. It does so fill the space. Did you notice the shadows? Yeah. That's what's really neat about it. The shadows help the use of a negative space is really what I, I like about them. They're really, really striking and approachable, too, to think about if you moved. If you move every two years, this is the kind of thing that every corner, every home has a corner, right? So there could be a place for it versus the commitment possibly of buying something large scale that works really well in one space, but not another. Right, so uh, do you have anything coming up next or are you taking a break? Or? Well, as soon as Superfine's over, I've got to get back to client work since I uh, have been neglecting some of my clients for a little while, but that's just, I know, that's how these big projects go, but I'm just always excited to be able to create opportunities to really, um, do what I love, which is showing work. I don't make it, I make yeah. it look great. So right. I'm really happy with the space we've got set up here and how the work looks and how it presents. With that, so how could people uh, get in contact with you? Absolutely. So my website's monochromecollective.com. Send me an email directly, nina at monochromecollective.com. And you can follow along on Instagram, monochrome.collective. I've got all my info there. I'm very approachable and I actually respond to messages. So if you're an individual who's interested in starting a collection, doesn't matter what your price point is. I'm very excited to help you find original work. If you're a corporate space or a commercial project or an apartment building who wants to be able to source artwork by real humans who make pieces that will <laughs> that will fit your need, but I'll support them. I'm ready to help. Get in touch. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. And it was really great for... chatting and thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Next is Nina Harris and Sean Michael Pattern out of the wilds of Fairfax, Virginia. Both could introduce yourselves, talk about the mediums that you use and your themes. I'm Sean Patton. I'm Nina Harris. We use acrylic paint, uh, collage, paper, books, pencil, colored pencil, marker, sort of in a mixed media setting for just about every piece we've done. Found objects, yeah, yeah. Um, scraps, recycled old artwork. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll cut up old art that we don't like anymore or that was like a practice thing for class and find a way to repurpose that. And as far as themes go, I feel like each piece is very different. Like our brains kind of jump around a lot and what we're focused on. So we'll go from something uh, very like kind of a heavier idea maybe or something calmer or whatnot but we always try and keep humor in what we're doing we want to make people smile uh, while walking by that's kind of the main goal is to make someone happy at the end of it and a lot of our backgrounds kind of start as these abstract meditations um, and we'll layer and layer and as we add layers they'll become these interesting concepts and something you can kind of interpret as your as your own subjective piece we we sort of let the universe dictate how things happen we'll like we'll find paper will just fall on a piece and we'll be like oh that belongs there so we'll glue it down or we'll just like start throwing books or papers around to see like what collage things work and we'll be inspired that way and so like kind of let just 
living life movement kind of dictate the way a piece uh, progresses. Well, when did you both start uh, working together or collaborating on projects? Um, only about two months ago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, really? uh, we basically started dating about two months ago and then right away, I mean, our first date, we were talking about art and she was saying how she used acrylics and was saying she wanted to get more into collage. And I was like, yo, I got three decades of National Geographic. <laughs> Let's hang out. Because I came from more of a fine art painting, drawing background, and I wanted to be more on the fine art side and I never really got into collage. And he came from like a songwriting, music background and collage. And so we were able to kind of throw those things together and get a really quick creative flow going. And we actually met outside the Torpedo Factory in Alexandria. So it was kind of like creative right away. With that, yeah, so. it just clicked really instantly. Kind of crazy, but like real, real inspiring. Hey, no, I, I'm inspired. Thank I mean, you. <laughs> Some of your work is, is seems to come across as also being metaphysical. Is is that some kind of subconscious way, um, or is it just somewhat subconscious? We don't like push too hard for it, but um, I mean, I study personally a lot of like we both like Carl Jung and sort of the ideas of synchronicities and sort of studying different every religion of the world, whether it be Christianity, Buddhism, zodiac stuff, all of that, and kind of just seeing where the truths are of these the coincidences and interesting things on life. And so that's part of the meditative process. You know, I, I'm interested in a lot of that idea where I don't want to hit you over the head with it in a way. I think sometimes if you try too hard to put symbolism in something, it comes off too strongly, where if it's sort of more subdued and more um, abstract or just kind of like in the idea as you're doing it, it comes across in ways that you don't even realize you've done. And a lot of the art process and the creative process for me on the same page as like the metaphysical is like the information kind of finds you as you're making it. So like the meaning comes from the meditation process so you can kind of empty it out and figure out more about yourself and like more about uh, where it's going as you're making it so so i was going to ask it's kind yeah. of a follow-up question to uh, what are your influences you already mentioned um, carl young yeah is... carl young as far as like visual art goes it's, uh i'm really into basquat and keith herring had an art teacher had a bunch of his posters up and that sort of inspired me all the patterns and stuff i used to do in elementary school where you'd have to keep moving shapes and yeah. i just kind of like that idea of the the easy art you made when you were a kid that you didn't think too much about and that kind of inspires me there but also inspired by a lot of punk bands, hardcore bands, and the way they'd use collage and, and photography in their, you know, aesthetic of things. Right. And even just kind of just paying attention to the world. Like, it's just a lot of inspiration from poetry. I'm really into poetry, so I try and put that in there as well. So just sort of listening to what's going on around me and throwing that in there. Yeah, for me, a lot of my inspiration early on came from action painters. Uh, so I really came to like Jackson Pollock a lot. Like lately, we've been taking bigger pieces and throwing them on the floor and getting more involved in them that way, like physically with our hands and kind of throwing things on them and being like really involved in them uh, physically. And then also like Kooning and Rothko with the big color fields and making things minimal, but at the same time, very eclectic. So your eyes are trying to figure out like where to go. So China, just taking things from multiple timelines and bringing them together in a way that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I will say too, and I think about, it, I do like Van Gogh. When I finally saw a Van Gogh piece in real life, you could see all the brush strokes and everything. And I appreciate the fact that you know how he did it. Like you can't necessarily do it yourself, but you can see the actual human touch in there. And I really like that aspect. And I try and bring that idea to sort of maybe someone can be inspired and be like, oh, I want to go try and make art now. Like I, I think everybody has the ability, if you're creative minded, you, there's an accessibility to, to just putting your mind to it and working at it and developing that skill. 
This is not a trick question. Okay. How do you know when a piece is finished? It's a great question. Somebody actually asked us that the first day of the fair. So yesterday, yeah, yesterday. I think the simplest answer is that it's like never really finished. But my art teacher in high school actually told me that a painting is always going to look ugly until it's finished. So I guess for me, when it doesn't look ugly anymore, then I know it's finished. Like when I look at something and I'm like, I'm looking at it for longer than five seconds and I think it is pleasing aesthetically. I think that's when I know it's finished and I, like, I want other people to see it. For me, it's just when I'm tired of looking at it and I put it away <laughs> for a while and then I can like bring it back a few days later and if I like looking at it then, then it's done. If I'm like uh, critical of it or I hate it, then I know I need to do something new with it. And sometimes, like honestly, you're looking at a piece and it's hung up on the wall and you're like, I could do something to it right now. And sometimes we do. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, someone, your friend has a piece and you're like, can I have that back? And like, yeah. can I change it? And maybe I can, I'll give it I back can relate to, you. to that. Yeah. yeah. Not going to lie, we've adapted a few here today. <laughs> hey, no, it, it's, yeah, it's my philosophy is that it's always going to be something evolving, you know. Um, yeah, basically until someone takes it and we can't touch it anymore, then it's done. Well, there you go. They kind See, of that's when you know us. when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, last question. So um, how can people get in contact with both of you? It, just like, you know, email, web address, anything like that. Yep. So we have uh, Instagram and Facebook. So um, our Instagram is where we post our main pieces, all of our originals. And I do a lot of the promotion through my main Instagram and Facebook. So it's Nina Albright and we have our cards here for people today. Um, and then we're building a website. So that's in the works. And then we're also on Instagram as Sean Michael Patton. So that will be poetry and digital art because that's another thing that we're building together. We do that collaboratively as well. Fortunately, like we started so got new at this and we got into super fine, like kind of last minute and everything. So we haven't built too much of that platform yet. Yeah, um, which by the way, congratulations. Thank you, yeah. Um, we're gonna be at Raw uh, Art Show in Silver Spring, Maryland. So if people wanna come there, that's when we'll have our Instagram more established between the two of us, have a website built and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I was about to ask that question. What was your next thing? But you beat me to it, so. We also have a show um, coming up in Occoquan, Virginia um, at Local Color, um, November 9th. So it's at Local Color Art Gallery and Occoquan on November 9th. So that'll be a big show. It's a cute little town, local, so that's fun. And then, yeah, raw. And then gonna be in New York, probably. We did a show in New York at Vanderplast Gallery, and that was really great. So we're trying to really get out there and get into music a little bit, too. Yes, pay attention if you see, you know, two people having a lot, of, way too much fun in front of a <laughs> lot of eccentric, colorful art. Yeah, that's us. That is you guys. All yeah. Right. Usually I wear a Bass Pro Shop hat, so you can probably find me pretty easy. That's your, your signature? I, I only feel comfortable wearing this hat. So uh, if I were to trade you hats, you would say no? No way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Yeah, and thank I you. appreciate this. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. And now let's hear from Nicola Charles from 1111 Gallery. So if you could please introduce yourself and talk about who and what your gallery is. Hi, I'm Nicola Charles. My gallery is 1111 Gallery. I've come over from London in the UK to open the gallery here in Washington, DC, specializing in UK contemporary and urban art. So how did you get your gallery start? So long story short, I visited the US in uh, Washington, DC in 2017. And after kind of having an epiphany moment and deciding that I wanted to have an art gallery, I kind of noticed that the art scene here, it was very insular. The DC market is driven by DC artists, whereas in many other 
in, in major cities, the art markets are generally collector driven as opposed to artist driven. So I just thought, and I also found that, or realized rather, that artwork in the UK seemed to be a bit more reflective of other cities within the US. So for example, many of our artists and artists that I'm working with are quite popular in um, New York. They're popular in Miami and in LA. There's, there's a limited international aspect to the DC art scene, which I found quite strange being that it's the capital of the United States. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> for Superfine Art Fair, uh, how did you go about selecting the pieces or artists for the fair? So the pieces that I've selected, I so I was contacted by James at the Superfine Art Fair. One of the organizers, yeah. One of the organizers. And he had gone through my website and my Instagram and had basically um, invited me to exhibit a few artists. Some of those pieces, he felt they would suit the fair. I agreed. But some of the originals that he was requested, I found a bit too big in size. I generally kind of looked through a similar aesthetic. And I thought about the artists I work with and which pieces would suit. And I went through previous years, fairs, etc and just selected a few smaller pieces, more affordable pieces as well, because you don't want to scare people off at an art fair. Right, right. Just kind of took it from there, and then it all starts to roll. And with Superfine, they're really good because you have to put together a curatorial plan. So I was really able to see what everything would look like and then swap things out, change my mind. And some of the pieces I did really want aren't here, but I, I love what we've got here as well. So what kind of uh, upcoming events or exhibits you have planned? So 1111 Gallery actually opened as a storefront. So previously it's been online and all artwork's been available to buy online, which is the other element actually to um, DC art galleries. I noticed that they don't really sell much of their artwork online. It's very difficult to buy artwork online here. Whereas in the UK, especially in London, most of our galleries do sell artwork online. But the next big event, is the opening of 1111 Gallery on the 11th of November. The 11th, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 11th of the 11th at 6.30 p.m. The opening will be at 10 Florida Avenue Northwest. One more question for you. Um, yep. How could people contact you if they have any questions? So the easiest way to contact me would be either by email. I'm at info at 1111gallery.com or via social media, which all handles are 11, so 11, and then the word 11, underscore gallery on social media or text or phone. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. And finally, let's learn about some active listening from Philippa Hughes and Ruthie McIntosh. If you both can introduce yourselves and give me a little background on, on your booth, if you could, please. Uh, well, my name is Philippa Hughes, and I am a social sculptor. And I created this booth with my friend Beth Ferraro because we're really we're really concerned about the state of dialogue in America and the and it's really breaking down. And so we wanted to help people learn how to have better conversations, more meaningful conversations. And so we created this space. I call myself a social sculptor because I'm trying to create better sculpts, better spaces for people to actually engage um, with each other. Wow, yeah, I was about to ask about being a social sculptor. How does one begin to shape a conversation then? I, I, use me for an example, because I think you were telling me earlier that you, it's like a doctor's office and I'm supposed to sit down and you then evaluate my conversational skills or do you just basically, uh-oh, they pulled out the, the clipboard. <laughs> ah, we are in an exam room. Yes, this, this is an exam room. There are a lot of clipboards here. And <laughs> so the concept is to help create more dialogue with people on the various of issues from political, 
like religion or just day-to-day -day stuff? Oh, or? anything. I'm particularly interested in political dialogue because I have been organizing a series of dinners in which people from across the political spectrum break bread together and talk. And so I am particularly interested in politics, but people are having difficulty having all kinds of conversations all over. And so anything you're having trouble with, I think when we create the space for it, and it doesn't have to be a physical space, but when we create space, people want to do this. Kind of going back to something you said earlier, I'm not trying to shape how you talk or what you say. Mm -hmm. It's just about shaping the space for it and making it a place. And I don't like to call them safe spaces either. Safe spaces are like for people who already agree with each other, basically, yeah. and kind of have the same identities. I'm interested in creating spaces where people who don't agree with each other can feel like they can be their authentic self and say what they want and not feel ridiculed and not ridicule others, obviously. So it's about being who you really are and being principled while still engaging with people who don't necessarily agree with you. Yeah. So w would eye contact be one of the things that helps? Oh, yeah, definitely. Eye contact. You know, one thing that I think that I had to learn kind of recently is we tend to um, nod our heads a lot or say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. am doing that, by and the way. I, I, See, I, that's just... sort of why I said it. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, except actually I've been reading a lot about how to have better conversations. And one thing is to not do that because when you're nodding or when you're sort of saying, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, things like that, it's an indication that you're trying to think of what you want to say after the person finishes or how mm. you want to respond. You should not be thinking about how you want to respond. You should only be listening and looking into a person's eyes. Right. And then there's probably going to be an awkward pause at the end of what that other person says because you haven't been thinking about what you're going to say back. Then you respond because then you give yourself a moment to process. Right. Those awkward pauses, like nobody wants an awkward pause. I don't. Like, I right. hate it. It's very uncomfortable. Well, luckily <laughs> for me in the radio, I, I can just edit the awkward pauses. <laughs> and um, I can tell you that I have. Oh, to have a curated life. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Like a curated life yeah. that, or a curated conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so could, could you introduce yourself yes. and how are you involved with this project? Well, I am Ruthie McIntosh and I am Philippa Hughes's physician's assistant today <laughs> in training and have had the lovely ex experience of participating in her dinners or a dinner in the past at the Phillips collection. And it was lovely and life changing. And when Philippa gets you involved in something, it's usually terrific fun <sighs> and you come away and growing and experiencing life in a more fuller way. So how how did you get the, the moment of realization that this was a life-changing event for you, uh, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it was, I think with the dinner in particular, it was, I've come from a background in political life and having terrific friends on both sides of the aisle and seeing just breakdown of interaction even, civility and understanding and just literally walls being built between mm. folk. And that broke my heart because some of my best friends don't agree with me at all, but we enjoy each other as human beings and we have common ground, whether it's art or poetry or books. There's so much more we have in common than just these slices that are... So uh, this question would go for both of you. By uh, helping people learn and diagnose their conversations, and so curiosity is, is part of the name of the thing. So is a good way of approach is to uh, use curiosity. I mean, I guess it's kind of why I'm here, obviously. And, and do you use culture to help kind of break into or use that as a wedge? 
You get the you get this gold star by your name because you nailed it specifically. You, oh. you literally nailed <laughs> yeah. it. Gold star. Oh, wow. Um, well. I guess am I the first patient of the day? <laughs> I don't want to like set the bar too high for other people. Yeah, yeah. We did have a, a mob of patients last night. It right. was awesome. It was so exciting. Uh, and I did learn a lot last night too. So I actually met this amazing woman several months ago named Elif. She's been doing a lot of research around empathy building through the arts. Huh. I was just blown away. Her research shows that when people feel a sense of awe and wonder, they feel more curious about other humans. And when you feel more curious, you build empathy. And one of the ways in which you can have a sense of awe and wonder is through art. Um, you can have it through seeing a beautiful sunset, you know, all, all kinds of ways, but art is a very powerful way to provoke awe and wonder. I have literally felt tears myself when I have seen something, you know, a beautiful piece of art or listened to a beautiful piece of music, and it makes you feel more connected to humanity. Yeah. And that leads to curiosity and more empathy. So you totally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess this is done. No. <laughs> done. <laughs> We've solved all the world's problems. <laughs> so when's the next project or the next event after this, after the fair for you? So right now, I'm, I'm working on a very large project called Looking for America, in which we're taking these small dinners that I used to do in my house with people from both sides of the aisle, and we're doing these dinners across the country. So I'm curating an art show in cities across the country, and then we invite people to come and experience the art and be more curious and talk to artists and then talk to each other during dinner. So that's actually the big project I'm working on for 2020. And so far, we've been to... El Paso, Salt Lake City. We went to Anchorage. That was really interesting. That, that would be nice, yeah. I mean, again, I just feel so hopeful when I go to other places. People want to talk to each other. And art and building space for that is the way we, one way. It's not the only way. I'm not naive. <laughs> and it's, but it is one way. And I don't think that we're going to solve all these problems just with one dinner. But I hope people will keep doing it. Like, we'll just keep coming, you know, bringing more people to the art exhibits that we're curating and then inviting their own friends to come to dinner. We have to keep trying and we have to keep doing it. So you want to basically create some dominoes and yes. having them start knocking over. And are you going to be a part of these dinners across the country? Absolutely. I mean, I would love to participate in future ones. And I'm also, I think, inspired to take it in-house and try to replicate and model in my sphere of influence that same. I mean, Philippa's dinners are some big time preparation. <laughs> now, and uh, may I ask real quick about these dinners? Are, are they like uh, like pizza that you just go to? Well, she's quite a cook. <laughs> when they were in my <laughs> I home, a I actually did cook like dinner. Like it was that pretty was the good. Initial, the initial yeah. started around your table. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. I started right after the 2016 election and just inviting people. But it was like six or eight or ten people and I made dinner. I made red and blue foods. It was pretty, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Cherry and yeah. blueberry. Yeah. I, I called my dinners blueberries and cherries. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, that's very clever actually. Yeah. And cherry crisp to end the dinner that would Commingled. like become a purple goo <laughs> at the end. Ha 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 ha. I know. Um, I, I, I do. I am laughing. I find that funny. Yeah. <laughs> dinners we're doing now are much larger. They're like 50 to 60 people and they're catered. They're really nice and they're usually in a beautiful space. But you know, something that Ruthie said just reminded me is like, right. I don't expect people to organize dinners for 50 people yeah. or curate art shows. Mm -hmm. I just want them to like invite a few people over to their house, just yeah. like I did when I started. Mm -hmm. Like that's how it's going to happen is when we each take responsibility right. block mm -hmm. by block, you know, street by street. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think people should do what I'm doing. I'm just trying to show them how. Yet at her dinner, there was a great a format that puts everyone at ease and, and some terrific questions for you to share your story and, and practice listening to another person's story. Two speakers that spoke on an issue yep. that was probably very Washington appropriate. See, that wouldn't and, work in uh, Salt Lake <laughs> yeah, City, yeah, but yeah. it works here in yeah. D.C. And it yeah. thought, you know, food for thought and people could share. It was yeah. just terrific. We did have a format, but mm -hmm. I don't want to like structure it too much. You know, it's supposed yeah. to be a dinner party, yeah. you know, yeah. so I, there's definitely things that we do, like mm -hmm. the questions, the prompts, yeah. whatever. But yeah, I, I want to be very careful about like, we're not in a classroom. Like I'm not lecture, you're not lecture like, you, I'm right. a, you yeah. know, we're just regular people who just want to make, you know, make something happen and, and do good. So how could people reach out and connect to, to you and uh, your project? Well, period. thanks for asking. Yes. <laughs> they can go to curiosityconnects.us and of course there's a way to sign up for our mailing list and i am very good at responding to emails so if anybody emails me i will respond right back <laughs> well thank you thank you both for uh, sitting down with me thank you terrific to meet you i want to say thank you to superfine art fair for letting me roam around and do some interviews if you want to learn more information about superfine you can go to their website at superfine.world they're also on Instagram, and that's Superfine Art Fair. You can always go to our website, artboxdnv.com, to hear past episodes and this episode. Our Instagram page is artboxdnv, and our Twitter handle is at artdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening.